This, this is the mother organization of all the churches that we have. Uh, and all the ministries, schools, and every, all the mission work we do. This is the founding mothership. And that's how it was founded. With that Jewish star and the fish symbol for a reason. This has been our catchphrase. So we are heavy supporters of Israel. Reaching Jews and Gentiles. So that is part of the backdrop of who we are. Doing the ministry to reach the Gentiles in Nigeria, in Danville, in the mountains. Wherever God gives us a, a, an opportunity to minister. And Jews, we've been heavily, I've been involved with Israel since the mid-90s. And we heavily invested there. And we are blessed because of that. The Bible says if you bless Abraham, you'll be blessed. If you curse him, you'll be cursed. So that's not something new to us. You've seen a lot of my preaching lately uh, on, on Israel and all that that means to us. But that's nothing new. This is part of our foundation is for us to support Israel along with reaching Jews and Gentiles. So let's stand our feet. <clears throat> I'm going to read to you out of Psalm 148 as we get ready to go into our praise and worship time. It says, praise the Lord. And he's going to give us a call here in just a minute. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him all His angels. Praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun and moon. Praise Him all you stars of light. So everything's going to praise God, including the rocks. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. He also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth. Hallelujah. It's us. You great sea creatures and all the depths. Now, there is a connection between not only humans... And God, but even the rest of His creation. Paul said that nature is groaning for redemption. And that we know that you don't ride on a donkey that's not been broken. Unless you're the one that made the donkey. Don't think for a minute that the day Jesus was on that donkey, that that donkey didn't know who was on Him. We had a donkey in the Old Testament that talked. Remember that? We're trying to find out who the real dumb donkey was, right? The man he was talking to, right? And then he says, uh, Praise the Lord from the earth. You see creatures, all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling His word. The wind fulfills His word. Mountains and all hills, faith, fruitful trees and cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and the flying fowl, kings of the earth and all the peoples, princes and all the judges of the earth. Amen. Here's the word to us. Both young men and maidens, old men and children. So let the children praise the Lord. Amen. Out of the mouth of babes. Let the praise, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. That's who we're praising. Amen. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give him some praise this morning. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, God has already been around the corner before you get there. Tell them that. That's exciting news. That means God's in front of you and behind you, and he's got his angels all around those who fear the Lord. Guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you win. Tell your neighbor that. Say, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you win. Come on, let's give him some praise. He's worthy. Amen. Children's Church is dismissed. Two nurseries next door. Let me tell you, we fed 452 or the Deerings and all of you guys and everybody participated by way of uh, donations and the work you did on Thanksgiving. So that's a testimony and we appreciate that. All of the help with that. 452 meals were served on Thanksgiving as a result of all of your all's participation in some way. Also, uh, if you're newer we've got parking lots all around us so if this one's full we got steps off the one back here uh, and there's a lot of parking up there and you can park beside the bank here we have full access to all that over there as well so we're trying to make sure everybody can get as close and park uh, as close as you can uh, so if you have your bibles turn with me to ephesians chapter 4 
Uh, I got some good stuff I want to share with you this morning. <clears throat> and uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I wanted you to do this in your mind's eye. If I ask you to list the five most important things uh, to you on a list, and I mean individually, uh, not collectively, like just kind of bunch them all up so you can throw them all together. But if I ask you to list the five most important things to you in your life, what would those five things be? Just, just think about that. Uh, would it be God, then your spouse, then your children, then your grandchildren, maybe your wealth, health? You know, if we, if we took a poll, that stuff maybe be a little different, especially if we did 10 of them. Uh, but if God is first in, on your list, then that means everything below that would come under that, right? would surrender to that, right? Same thing as the list goes down, whatever second or third things that are seventh and eighth would take a back seat if there's a choice that has to be made, right? If you look at those, let's just call it 10. If you had 10 things that you listed, uh, then think about your own life. Think about if your life shows that those are the 10 most important things. Because really what's most important to us is what we invest in. Our time, ourselves, our lives. So those ten things mentally might be what you would write down. But in reality, would how you live illustrate that those are the ten most important things in your life? And would they be in that order? So I heard something this week that really caught my attention. And... Uh, I've said this for a lot of years. If your desire is here, but your discipline is here in anything, then one of two things is going to have to happen. You're going to be miserable. You're going to have to bring your discipline up here to meet the desire, or you're going to have to drop your desire down to level off with the discipline you have. Because you stay miserable, right? I heard this. never heard this said before in my life. First time I'd ever heard somebody say this and they were talking about addiction but they could have you could use this in anything they said these people wanted to quit and this guy decided to quit and we'll get into that a little bit more in, in a little while but what, you talk to people a lot of them have a desire right but they don't have the discipline. They're not willing to pay the price, right? So, and that could be true of a lot of things, not just addiction. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Just read a few verses here. Then I'm going to draw something here on the board. Um, verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you're called. So there's the first challenge, to be a prisoner of the Lord. The second challenge is to walk worthy of that. And then he says, uh, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, understanding that people are at different levels and just moving through that and not being arrogant, but being gentle, being long-suffering, all that. I think one of the greatest traits you and I can have is one of the most magnificent traits of God himself is long-suffering. If you've been a Christian and, and you've come to the reality of being a sinner and now being a believer... And then if you've served the Lord for a while and you've seen your own frailty and own weaknesses, the long-suffering of God is just unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, it's magnificent just how long-suffering God is. You think about the children of Israel going through the wilderness, all the things of God. His long-suffering blows my mind. Because just to be honest with you, most of us wouldn't be that long-suffering. Over and over is long-suffering. So he's asking us to move in that, right? He's asking us to be that way. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that would require, and there's, I can't run you all over the Bible this morning, but I can just quote a few things. That would require caring more about the things of others than your own stuff. Now, you know, saying that as a creed and living that is two different things. To bear one another's burdens. To say... You come up here and sit, and I'll go back there and sit. 
Do you know there have been church splits over where people sit in churches? Don't start that stuff in here. I'll be coming after you. <laughs> but the, that kind of humility that says, I will prefer you over me. And it starts at home, right? Start it in home and then work it out from there, right? But having a life to where we care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff. Is that a reality in your life and my life? Where we care more about the things of others than we do our own stuff. That's a challenge of Christianity, right? To bear one another's burdens, all those kinds of things. And so then he says, uh, there is one, he says, keeping that unity. And Paul even talks about a place, and this takes it even a little further. He talks about a place where we take wrong upon ourselves. Like Christ did. And just suffer. It's really quiet in here. Would it stir you up if I took up an offering or something? <laughs> Suffering wrong for the sake of others. In other words, sometimes even not saying something back. Turning the other cheek. Wow. Challenges that we have as Christians. Uh, and then he says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So he really narrows this down. Okay? And I'm going to show you something here. Jesus was sent to the earth. So the Holy Spirit, God, to Jesus, they're all part of the Godhead. Right? Uh, this one Lord is what I want to uh, focus on. One faith, one and one baptism. All of those point us to Christ. The baptism, the faith, and Lord. And then all that obviously goes into the Father, or the Father and the Holy Spirit as well. They, the, the reason Jesus was sent is so we would focus on the sun because he took on flesh like we did. He walked a mile in our shoes, two mile, three mile, whatever. And everything is in him, in Christ, all things in him. And when we celebrate Christ, we are also celebrating God and the Holy Spirit. Those three are one, right? So the Lord, there's, a, there can, there's only one Lord. There's only one faith. This is horrible, incorrect theology and language, any way you want to put it. When you ask, quit asking people this. What faith are you of? There's no such thing. There's only one faith in Jesus Christ. If somebody is of another religion, so be it. That's how we should ask that. What religion? You may ask somebody what denomination they adhere to. Whatever. But there's only one faith. That's an incorrect question. That question should never be asked. There's only one faith. And I've heard people say this because of what's going on with Israel and, and, is, and Muslims and Islam and all that stuff. Well, there are peaceable, peaceable factions or there's a peaceable religion. It doesn't matter. There's only one faith. Any other religion that doesn't have Jesus as its centerpiece is going to send us straight to hell. It doesn't matter how peaceful they are or how quiet or how nice they are or how laid back they are. It doesn't matter. There's only one faith, there's only one Lord, there's only one God, one Spirit, one baptism. And he laid all that out plain here. So don't ask anybody that anymore. Don't ask them what faith they're of. There's no such thing. There's only one faith and one faith in Christ. Faith in anything other than Christ is not faith. It's a false belief. And so that's how all this works. So if I talk to you about baptism in the Jewish New Testament, it talks about after we've been made disciples ourselves to go and make, this is how the Jewish New Testament expresses this, is go and make disciples immersing them in the reality of Christ. So their only true immersion, whether it's a physical immersion in the baptism or spiritual immersion in the filling of the Holy Spirit, what the only real place to be immersed and it benefit you is in Christ. In fact, when you're born again, you are spiritually immersed 
baptized if you want to have it, in Christ, right? And then we follow through with these other things that we've been shown and taught and asked to do in the New Testament. That immersion in water is after you've already been immersed in the Spirit. You've believed, you've repented, and you've accepted Christ. So that is the reality. There's only one place to be immersed that will benefit you, and that's in Jesus Christ. The second thing is this faith. I want to talk about faith. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this is going to really set some stuff straight here. And I'm glad it's the Word and not me. I'm just going to read it. You can get mad if you want to, but... uh, you just have to get mad at God. They're going to get mad at you, God, if they get mad. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Look what he says. Now, this is Paul talking under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says, Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. This is similar language to what we just read there in Ephesians chapter 4, right? Unity, being together, and there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment, right? So we're coming together under God's Word. We're not coming together in this church. We don't come together under uh, the Methodist Creed or the Baptist Creed or the Pentecostal Creed. We come together under God's Word. That's what we're designed to do. And so he says, says, For it has been declared concerning you, my brethren, the house of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each one of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas. That's, we all know Peter and Paul and Apollos. Or I, are, and, uh, I, or I am of Christ. So there's the trumpers, right? They just trump everybody else, right? I'm, I, well, I'm, and I'm of Christ, right? Is Christ divided? Because Paul is a minister of Christ, Peter is a minister of Christ, and so is Apollos. So to trump them with Jesus as if to me, as if to say you're higher than they are is, is ludicrous. And that's what he's trying to point across here. He says, I, he says, is Christ divided? The answer to that is no. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer to that is no. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So he's using himself here as the example. Now look at this. Baptism is a part of your testimony. It's not salvific. It's a a big word to mean salvation. I thank God that I baptized none of you. Paul's glad that he didn't baptize except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. So when somebody comes to this church... That's if you want to be rebaptized because you've had a season where you want to be rebaptized, that's fine. I've done that with people my whole life. But if you come from another church and say, do I have to be rebaptized? The answer to that's no. And here's my question to you. Were you baptized for that group or were you baptized for Jesus? Now, a lot of churches would require that. We don't require that because we think the Bible's plain here. The reason you get baptized is not for Paul. This is where denominations got took off. Paul tried to stop them. There shouldn't be 50,000 denominations. But lo and behold, here we are. There's thousands. I don't know how many there are now. But uh, there's thousands of denominations. And Paul tried to stop that from getting off the ground. He said, I'm, I'm of Paul and I'm of Peter and I'm of Apollos. He said, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you but a couple. He said, so but people wouldn't say I'm doing it unto myself. And so he says, uh, he says, should I say that I baptized my own name? Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ, now listen, if it was salvific, this line wouldn't be in the Bible. He said, for Christ did not send me to baptize. Now I want to ask you a question. If baptism was what salvation hinged on and not the heart, where a man's converted inside, the number one apostle that's ever walked would have never made that statement. He would have said just the opposite. If water baptism is what saves you, he would have never said God didn't send me to baptize. That would be stupid. That would be contrary to that doctrine. So here's what I'm saying to you. There's a lot of stuff going on here. Paul is trying to get us from being, stop us from being divided. And that there's just one faith. We should not have different labels. But you know how persistent men are. Now, a church like ours, we have people from all kinds of backgrounds. My wife grew up Baptist. 
I grew up in the church of God. I think God put us together for a reason, to help balance one another out. But we've all come in. Some of you grew up Methodist. Some of you grew up Presbyterian. Some of you grew up Pentecostal. Some of you grew up Holiness. Some of you grew up Catholic. Some of you grew up Heathen. <laughs> and you're better off than the rest of us. Because you didn't have no preconceived ideas when you got saved. But whatever you grew up in, God intended for us to stay unified. And to stay together. And the way we do that is to stay in God's Word. And let it be the rule for your life. If all of our marriages are run by God's Word, how beautiful. If all of us raised our children according to God's Word... I mean, see how that's supposed to work? Then that's, that's how we stay unified. You don't really even have to try and do it. You don't have to try and stay unified if everybody's using the same rule. We just work off that, right? You can see, you can see, and, and I, I don't mean to uh, say this to hurt Kentucky Wildcat fans' hearts. <laughs> but the reason Kentucky gets beat many times in the tournament is because they've got all these young players that are playing for themselves. And they go against these teams that have been together three, four, and five years. And I'm saying this because I played basketball all the way through college. I understand this. That when you, when you get together and nobody cares who gets the baskets, they're all just committed to winning. It's different. It's different, right? I grew up hearing that when a team had too many all-stars, this was a common saying, right? They don't have enough balls to go around because everybody wants to shoot. And when I played in college, I always told the, told the big men, I said, if when I throw you the ball down there, if you're not wide open, kick it back out. I'll be right here waiting on <laughs> So we, we got to understand unity is a powerful force. That's why, that's why the devil even stays unified in his kingdom. Because Jesus said a kingdom divided can't stand, right? So whether it's a family, a business, a church, a nation, a country, a, a state, a county, whatever, the more divided we get, the more torn apart, the more access the enemy has in our lives. So he's telling them, he's saying, hey, you guys, I'm glad I didn't do this. I didn't want this attention on myself. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made none effect. And I touched on this last week, and this is how they're being trained in seminary in most cases anymore, is not to really just use the Word of God, but to, to be more culturally relevant, right? And just go in there and give them stories and things, right? Trying to move their emotions. But here's the problem. And Watchman E does the best with this. Have anybody ever heard? When he, uh, uh, Release of the Spirit is the book you need to read. By Watchman Nee, Release of the Spirit. They think they may have changed the title on it lately. But he talks about how that if we don't use the Word of God, and I'm talking to parents, I'm talking to husbands, I'm talking to leaders, I'm talking to wherever you're at, pastors, whatever. If you don't use the Word of God, you are not touching the spirit of a man or a woman. You may tell good stories. You may have good things to say. And sometimes I use stories when they uh, are, uh, go along with what I'm sharing here, experiences. But that can't be the only thing we do. Because all you're doing is touching their soulish person. Their mind, their will, and emotions. Right? That's why a mission trip does not get somebody on fire for Jesus. Only temporarily. Same thing with youth camp. Right? I love all those things and they're part of what we do. But those are not designed to get people committed to God. The commitment comes from the heart. Somebody who's fell in love with Jesus and doesn't matter what comes their way, right? How many times do you see people? I've seen people come back from a mission trip or youth camp ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Three months later, you can't find them. Because they had an emotional experience, right? They saw things. They knew things needed to be done, but something wasn't going on in here. I, had a, I took a guy into the inner city. This is hilarious. As a pastor, you get used to it, though. Uh, I took a guy into the inner city years ago. We were doing work in the inner city, the bad, worst part of the city. And the guy got so fired up that week. He was so excited. And he said to me, standing in the middle of the inner city before we left to go home, he said, he said a few things. He said, you're going to see a lot of me. It's been 30 years ago. I ain't seen him since. <laughs> That's a true story. Never saw him again. Because he was emotionally charged, but something has to happen in here. 
Something has to happen inside of our heart. Now, the next thing I want to take you is the Lord, right? We're going backwards through this. Baptism, faith, and the Lord. Now, there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, I want to talk to you about this Lord, and I'm going to come back to those ten things that are important to you or not. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. In Matthew 7, verse 21. Now, these are some words in the red, so they're... Uh, I, I don't say we, that the red is more important than the black, but what I would say is you better start with the red. <laughs> and let's get this red writing right, because that's the things Jesus spoke to us while I was here on earth. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So there's, that's the follow-through, right? True faith has action, right? Faith without works is dead. All right? And then he says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that's interesting that the word lawlessness is used so much in Jesus' discourse because that's the day we live in. Right now, how much lawlessness do we see all over the world? Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, and I did a little eight-minute clip while we were out west about it's, it's really that simple. Just do what Jesus says. Therefore, anybody who hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat the house, and it did not fail, for it was founded on the rock. Now, we see some other things that Jesus said. He said, it, it rains on the just and unjust. That's good and bad, right? I mean, we're going to get storms just like the unjust are going to get storms. But we're also going to get, the unjust are going to get rain. That's how good God is for their crops, right? To sustain them, God's good. But there seems to be something being said here. There, he didn't rule out the fact that the storms were coming. He just said, hey, it's important where you build. Right? He said the rain descended, the uh, floods came, the winds blew, uh, and, the, and beat the house, and it did not fall for it. It was built on Petra, or the rock. Then the next one is Amon. It's uh, the, the word for sand. And he says, but everyone who here, and you can see the difference, right, between if you look at the landscape in Petra versus uh, Jordan and Amon. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So, I mean, people who build in the path of a hurricane, they have some level of expectation that they're going to have to build again because that's just the nature of that, right? So here he's telling us if you hear his sayings and do them, that's who the true believer is. And he's saying if you do that, you're building your house on the rock. If you don't do that, you're building your house on the sand. Now turn to Matthew 6, just one page back, verse 19, or one chapter back, maybe on the same page. Now look what he says here, and I'm going to talk about this for a moment. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, thinking about those two verses there, how should your list look? What should, how should your top ten be? If you think about, do you know what my number one responsibility is, is to train my children and lead my wife and grandchildren, whatever my response, as those come up, Toward the Lord. That's, there's nothing more important going on in my life than that. Not, not even feeding them physically. The most important thing I can... Because what if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? And that's the biggest challenge I think Americans have. Because we live in a commercialized, materialistic culture. The biggest challenge is to sit down and think, these are the things I want to do for my children. Nothing wrong with that but they cannot come in front of their spiritual journey, their life of faith. Because I want to I say this, and I know it's sobering, and I, I just want to say it though. 
What will heaven be like if you're walking around and can't find your daughter? Now, I know God's going to wipe away all our tears. I know there'll be a reconciling someday, and I don't know how that's going to work itself out. But just to think for a moment that your grandson's not there or your son. I mean, the Bible makes it very plain to us. What if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? What profit is that? There is no profit in that. So thinking about your top ten list, how that should work itself out when you read a verse like this. And how, how do you work that through? He says, let me read a few more verses here and then we'll come back to this. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eye is bad, uh, your whole body is full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, have you ever wondered, and when I think about these lists and what's on them, what should be on them, but what, if we look at the reality of people's lives, what's really on them, have you ever wondered why addiction is not really in the Bible the way we see it in our culture? I mean, he talked about drunkenness, stealing, sexual immorality. I mean, he just hit them straight on. But addictions, why did he not talk about that the way we understand it? Now, he did talk about it, but he talked about it from a different perspective. He talked about it from the perspective of love and our hearts. It's a heart condition. Remember what I said to you earlier? Some people want to quit. Some people decide to quit. It's a heart issue. This word treasure is thesaurus. That's the word for treasure. And it means that which is stored up in a guarded place. Something that's stored up in a guarded place like a treasure box. And what was so beautiful about that woman pulling that, bringing that alabaster box full of perfume in on Jesus before He was going to the cross, she broke the box because what was valuable was inside of it. She broke that box, poured all that out on it. Some theologians believe what was in that box was a whole year's worth of wages. That's what it would have cost to fill that box up. But because her priority was Him and not that. See what I'm saying? All these other things down the list yield to that number one, right? Then everything behind number two yields to number two, and then number two yields to number one. So here she comes. Now, how many people do you think in our culture think the box is valuable? They would have never broken the box. Maybe they would have just opened it up and put a little bit out on his feet, right? But her priority was him, Jesus. So she broke the box. She dumped it all out on him. These obstacles... Got all these obstacles that stand in our way in this culture of making God first. And maybe the other things that are in the list are out of order, right? Because we are challenged to surrender to personal comfort, right? That's one of our challenges. I don't want to do that. I don't, that would be strainful, right? Narcissism. Narcissism is a struggle in our culture. Greed, uh, fear, bitterness, unforgiveness, pleasure, you go on, etc. Those are challenges to us keeping our list together. Right? Well, why would I want to go help them with youth camp and give a whole week to that when I could just go on vacation? Well, there you go. You just figured out your list a little bit. I just put some people on the spot, didn't I? Because we're going to ask you to help them. Why would I want to give up my evenings to help them in Bible school, you know? Because I work all day. Well, there you go. You figured out your list. You're sorting out your list there. Why would I want to take that CD and send it, take my money out of that CD and send it to Africa when the Holy Spirit's promised me? I need that. I might need that. There you go. You figured out your list a little bit better. And this is the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, they were legalistic and rigid. The New Covenant, they were abandoning. They abandoned everything for Jesus. 
And I'll give you an illustration of how the shift that came from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. This is one of the fresher revelations I've had in the last little while. The reason I don't abuse my wife is not because I'm afraid of going to jail, but because I love her. That's the shift. The reason they, under the Old Covenant, they were afraid of the penalty. So they stayed in line or didn't. And the New Covenant has shifted with love, right? Why don't I do those things against Jesus? Because I love Him. So when somebody's got this sin issue, however it unfolds itself, they got a love problem. Because why? Jesus said, men love darkness more than they love light. So there's a love problem going on. Right? So let's go. He's, uh, man is drawn of the, to very powerfully to these kinds of things in his life. Pleasure, other people, beautiful objects, money, sex, comfort. Uh, many times these things have a greater grip on people than their faith. Why? Because they got a love issue. they got a heart issue. Right? And so God's taking us down paths to sort these things out. Think about this. Think about maybe even somebody being too high up on your list. Think about things. So, uh, if you see somebody in trouble, would you take some of your retirement out if that was the solution? And help them? Or would you justify not taking it out? And not helping them? Now I'm not, I'm not calling balls and strikes out of this pulpit. I'm just saying, whatever decision you made there, you helped sort your list out. See what I'm saying? There are some people that are all in. There are some people that are 90% in. There are some people that are 70% in. You see that, right? The desire is here. The discipline is here. The willingness to pay the price. And that's what we see even like with addiction. We brought out. Some people want to quit. Some people decide to quit. What happens? What happens to somebody? You've got to find that thing, or in our case, the one, Jesus, to love more than that other thing. He just said you can't love, you can't have two masters, right? So what happens is people who have a love issue with God, they let something else become their master. Now, let's go to John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, I'm, I'm going to close here in just a minute. Tell your neighbor, say he's going to close in a minute. I hope you didn't tell him a flip, but we'll see. In John chapter 3, just a few verses here in John, a couple places, then I'm going to close. John chapter 3, verse 14. <clears throat> we love stuff. The Bible describes whatever we're sold to. I don't even, don't even know if I want to call it addiction. Whatever we give ourselves to, whatever we've given ourselves to, that that's what we love. Right? That's what we love. And for whatever reason, however it come about, that darkness slipped in and, it, and we started falling in love with something that was destructive. And that's, that's where the issue's got to be met, right? The Bible describes it as a heart and a treasure issue, right? That's how the Bible describes it. It's a heart and a treasure issue. Where's your treasure at? Where is your treasure? What are you storing away what is most important in your life? How would your treasure box look if we opened it up? What would be the most important thing in it? And, and, and you're deciding that. We decide that, right? With our own lives. In, in verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, uh, and, Moses, as Moses, and as Moses lifted up the servant of the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. 
So he came to give us life. The, con the judgment's coming someday, but right now we're under uh, the dispensation of where he's offering us life. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. That's the problem. As I've said to you many times, we see the results, we see the outflow of sin. And we see it in a thousand different ways. It doesn't matter what it is. Greed, lust, anger, murder, whatever. That's the outflow of a broken heart. A heart in here that's not right. Sin simply boils down to this. That when I've decided inside of my heart that I'm going to do it my will instead of God's. That's what sin really is. Sin is when I've decided to do my will. Doesn't matter how it manifests itself. One of the guys uh, down in the mountains drew this. And I want to show it to you. If you uh, look at a bar graph, this is how we view sins, right? Some are bigger and smaller. But if you're looking down from heaven... It all looks the same. The top of the graph. And that's a powerful illustration. Paul said if you break the law in one point, you've broke the whole law. That's why none of us can be haughty. Yeah, you may have not been caught up in something over here like this guy was, but your sin was just as bad as theirs. And that's, that's why we, we can't really see that the way we should at times. And then he says... That you uh, love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil, everybody who practices evil hates the light. They hate the light. And he does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen. That they have been done in God. So there's this hard issue. People love things. Now... I had an uncle years ago whom I went to see. I had a heavy burden for. He was an alcoholic, bad. He uh, lived in Michigan, had his own company. Over time, all that stuff kind of fell apart because the alcohol controlled his life. He got born again at the end of his life. But when I went to see him and I spent some time with him, he shared his desire, how, how strong his desire was for alcohol over anything else. He just had grown to just love it. And he said, I could work all day and not have eaten and come in to you. He was using me as an example. And he said, if you said I can, I can only have the beer or the steak dinner, he said, I'd take the beer. That's how much he'd fallen in love with it. And he was sober when he was telling me this. You see what happens to people, right? Doesn't matter what, what the issue is. It could be sex. It could be beer. It could be LSD, whatever. Anything that takes you away from God. Now let's go to John one more place, 14, and then we'll... So, what, I, what I'm trying to say to you is why part of the restraint that all of us have in our life, let me take it out of the realm of God for a moment, part of the restraint that all of us have in our life is because we have love for other people. Right? Why do you parents, and I saw my parents do this when I was growing up, why do you do without things? So your children can have things, right? I never... I remember my parents doing without a lot of things just so me and my brother could have things. It's cause of love, right? So there's, that love is the, mo, is, is the high... There's no greater power in the universe than love. So what happens is we've got to sort out our love and our heart for Jesus. In John 14, 
Verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, believe, uh, you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is talking, My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am there, you may be also. And where I go, you know the way you know and the way you know. Then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want your life to work out right, you need to love Jesus more than anything else. I don't know how else to say that to you. Here's what I, here's what I will say to you. When you love Jesus first, your ability to love others grows. In other words, I can love my wife better and more by loving Jesus first. Now, that's not the soulish way of thinking. That's not how the mind or the world thinks. But that's what the Bible teaches. And I've, I've lived that. Many of you have lived that. I, I have a greater ability to love my children when I love Jesus first. I, I cannot put my children in front of Jesus. Because then I lose my capacity to love them. They're going to miss out if I don't love Jesus first. Everybody in our circle will never be loved to the level they could be loved if we don't love Jesus first. That's what I'm trying to say. And most of you have heard me illustrate this with BTUs. We got some brothers that work at KU plant. And they have solar and hydro and coal. And the BTUs or the, the, the megawatts that solar puts out is like 5 an hour. And the uh, hydro is like 10 an hour. And the coal is 450 megawatts an hour. I mean, it's not even close. So what I'm saying, same kind of boiler and equipment, same thing. But the input, right? This one has the ability to produce far more electricity. That's what happens. The equipment don't change. You just have a greater ability to produce love. When you love with Christ or through Christ, you have a greater ability to, do, to love. So you're, the people in your sphere of influence will get a better person that can love them better out of you and me if Jesus is loved first and most. That's how this works. And then he says, If you'd known me, you would have known my Father. Uh, and from now on you know Him and have seen Him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father is sufficient for us. He said, Have I been with you so long and, have I not, and, and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak... To you, I, uh, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does these works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me in the sake of the works themselves. So that goes back to what I showed you earlier on this chart. As we do unto Jesus, as we look to Him, to be immersed in Him, to have faith in Him, to make Him our Lord, on this chart, can you all throw this back up for me? I'm working with it, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> Yeah, so as we, everything's in Christ and faith and the Lord, right? All that's, in, when we're doing that, we're doing it in the, under the Father because they're one, right? So all of that's going back to God. And he says, most assuredly, I say to you, in verse 12, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? And then he goes back to this love. And here's where the crux of it is. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide in me forever. So I want to just forget pinpointing any specific thing uh, out there that's a manifestation of sin. But if we're willing to live a life of sin, we're showing that we don't love the Lord the way we're supposed to love Him. We're showing that other treasures have more meaning in our lives than Him. He is the greatest treasure. You can come to the instruments. He is the greatest treasure. Jesus is the greatest treasure in our lives. I ask you to be real. with yourself if you go home and make a list. Make a list of how important or what is the most important thing. And don't be too collective and give yourself out. 
be specific. And I'll guarantee you, as we come down the list, those could look different for everybody. But if you just be honest, and when you look at your list, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should go home and look at your life and say, by looking at my own life, this is what's important to me. My wife and I had this discussion last night. We're talking about, you know, there are some people that wouldn't miss certain things on television because it's really important to them. Good, bad, or ugly. I'm not here, like I said, I'm not here calling balls and strikes. I'm just saying, write down what's really important to you in order, if you can, by how you live and see what that looks like. See what that looks like. Let's stand to our feet. Now there's one faith, one Lord, one Father, one baptism, one body. There's only one body. Let's be in it. Let's be the people, and I think he's found that here, but let's continue to be that. We're not done. We've, we've seen something else accomplished with Victor becoming a, a physician, but we're not done. Let's be the people that when, God, when the angels go back and say, we couldn't find anybody to do this, that the Lord will say, well, take it down there to those people that live in water in Basilea. They'll do whatever we ask. Let's be those people that are here says you're first in our lives God we'll get out of bed early we'll go to bed late we'll drop what we're doing to answer the call just like Matthew just like the ones at the table Jesus come by immediately the Bible says they dropped it let's not put God off amen let's bow our heads if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ today's your day do not put it off if you're watching me somewhere around the globe we welcome you. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we invite you to just kneel right where you're at. Maybe you're in your living room, wherever you're at. Maybe you're in your car. You pull off on the side of the road. Just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. Maybe you're a believer and you're struggling with your love. The world's been attracting you, trying to get you to love them in the wrong way or in the wrong place. Maybe it's time for you to sit down and sort your love out. See what you love first and see if it lines up the way it's supposed to line up. Lord, we just pray that as we open this altar, that whatever the needs are in this church, spiritually, mental, physical, somebody's sick and afflicted, whatever they need, Lord, we know you're able to provide. You can do far above what we can think or ask. So we open this altar for people to come and be with you. Will you come as we worship?